Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's Scout Fantasy Sports. All right, it's Dr. Roto. Get out the insurance cards. Get out the copay. The office is open, my friends. At Baronis, I was in labor last night. Many hours I was in labor. Boy or girl? <laughs> Both. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, felt, it was twins, dude. It was a long time. But I have to say, it went. Good, the good and bad. RT Sports has a very great draft board, color coordinated, but their players—it's so hard to find players there. Their 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 lists are terrible. You mean that some of the players are buried? Yeah, buried. Some aren't even there yet. So like, I all of a sudden, I'm not even kidding. Let me find the player. I was looking. Maybe it was like round. Oh, I know the player was Frenchy Cordero, and finally he came up, and and I was like, oh, he's there. I, 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 I overlooked him. I mean, you, I couldn't even find him. If I'd seen him, I would have, I would have picked him earlier. Did you? How did you try and look for it by outfield, or did you type in his name? I was typing in names. I, it was terrible. Come up? No, and then it came up. It didn't come up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. Look, I appreciate RT, and like I said, the draft board is very easy to read, very easy to understand, and I know that we don't pay anything for it. But please update your list with with current ADPs, please. Well, and I think we discussed this before, isn't it? better in a way so it's not really in front of everyone so every like so people have to find it i guess it is for the smart you know smart people you, you know smart people don't want to well that, that's another comment so on the radio their talk is they they were doing the radio the the draft on the radio they're like talking about players who are still out there i don't want you talking about players who are still out there i still want to get them well is everybody really listening though i don't know i, what can I, tell I mean you? i don't know it's if you're uh, I guess. I mean, they're not in the draft, so I, I think they're trying to bring attention to people and letting them know, hey, this guy might is sitting out here, a little surprised he's still here. So I understand it. It's one thing if you're in the draft and you shout out players' names. That I have a big problem with. I hate that. But, you know, they're doing a broadcast, so I, I don't I don't have a problem with it. Round 27, Frenchie Cordero was still there. I took Nick Ahmed. I would have taken Frenchie for sure. For sure. Yeah, I don't. The problem with Cordero is I don't know how much playing time he's going to get. We know that the Padres outfield is crowded, and he cannot play center field. And no, but I, you know when you like the player and you like the skills, and I'll figure it out. Yeah, that's how I feel about Frenchie. Eventually, he will play. I just feel like he's too. Or they'll trade him. He's too good. He's too good to just sit there and molt. Yeah, that's the problem with the Padres right now. Is it's a crowded outfield, and we'll see if they make a move, make a trade. Uh, I think a lot of people think that that could happen. Uh, it would be surprising if they signed Bryce Harper, but at this point, not a shock <laughs> if he lands there, which would really suck for the rest of the outfield. All right, so let's take a look at Labor Ronis. This gives you uh, give you a chance to uh, go through. Why don't you start with my team? Give me give me a rundown of what you liked, what you didn't, where I went right, where I went wrong. What would you have done differently? I had picked number three last night. Yeah, I'm fine with Ramirez at three. Uh, Nola. I like it, too. Uh, Nola was a guy that I wrote about last year. 
for our draft kit saying he was a dark horse NL Cy Young candidate. And obviously that almost worked out pretty well. I mean, he had a great year, good skill set. They extended him today, four-year contract extension for $45 million. So, you know, I like him in that spot with uh, some of the pitchers on the board. Marte in round three is fine. Uh, would you have picked Benatendi? That would be the other guy I would consider. I mean, Benatendi's very solid across the board, better lineup, uh, probably better counting stats. Obviously, Marte, uh, excellent for the speed. I'd probably lean Benatendi, uh, but it's close. I mean, Marte's Those a good are my player. two choices. Those are my two choices. Yeah, I mean, you already had a pitcher, so I probably wouldn't have gone a second one. And then just kind of looking at what's on the board, that's probably where the way I would go. I understand why you did Real Muto in round four. It's something that I wouldn't do, but I understand the value has gone up for him in Philadelphia. And catcher is such a brutal position, especially in a 15-team league where you need to start two. And that's generally, I think, where you're going to see him go right now. Uh, I feel like if I'm going to take a catcher, though, I mean, I think Gary Sanchez in round seven was uh, a better value. I know you don't know at the time where he's going to go, and you probably thought Sanchez would go the next round. It didn't happen. So I'm not inclined to take a catcher that early. But I have to say, if I was sitting in round seven, Gary Sanchez certainly would have been something that I have to seriously consider. This was a strange draft in that pitchers who I liked, Corbin, Tyon, Paxton, they went way earlier than I ever thought they would. Jameis and Tyon went in the round three. Patrick Corbin went the second pick of four. I was planning on getting those guys. So when it was my turn, I was shocked to see Real Moves still there. I thought he would have been gone earlier in the round. And it's not like I like the guy, but I'm like, look, it's a, it's a really big advantage spot. Most of these catchers stink. And I really didn't love Clevenger Berrios, which is my other two choices there. Yeah, I like both those pitches. I don't know if I'd take them if I already had one, uh, but... I'm not surprised with the pitching. We're starting to, it's been this way in the NFBC and it's really seeped into industry drafts as well. And of course the draft champions leagues, I think people are just talking about a lot more about how so many pitchers are not going 200 innings anymore. So people are trying to get those pitchers early, but also the thing to keep in mind is look at a lot of the pitchers we're talking about and think about where they were drafted last year. I mean, Trevor Bauer in round two, he was going in round eight, nine, 10 last year. Garrett Cole, I got in round seven of tout last year. Aaron Ola was like round four. Clevenger was double-digit rounds. I know. So Clevenger got Ty- 14. Tyon was double-digit rounds. Walker Bueller, I got in tout wars like round 26. So now these guys, because of the year they had, are being pushed up. That means we're going to get some pitchers who are going to produce, maybe not to the level that some of these guys did, but there's going to be a few that we're getting in the middle to late rounds. And the key is to find those pitchers this year. Absolutely. All right. Round five and on, you say Riamodal, you're like eh, soft on. What about Granky and moving forward? I mean, Granky's okay. Uh, you know, he doesn't throw hard anymore. I mean, he's been durable, 200 innings each of the last two years. I think the Diamondbacks obviously are taking a step back. Um, who else would you have taken there? I was considering Albies. Would uh, you taken? Who would you have taken? For me, well, I, I like VR that round, but he wasn't a fit for you. I'd probably go Puig. Interesting. Okay. I love Puig. Right. I mean, I know, look, he's going to Cincinnati. He's going to play every day. It's a great hitter's ballpark. And I know Puig's really kind of only have one big season, but he was hitting real well last year. And I don't understand why they didn't let him play every day. I know they had a lot of pieces, but 
Uh, I like Puig. I think I see Albie, that. I see that. I'm concerned about Albies. Um, you know, I was going through my second base rankings and I still have him high, and it's like I hate him at this spot. I just, he was bad in the second half, and even after the first two months, and I think pitchers adjusted to him, and he didn't make those adjustments. We knew that he had speed, but not big time power, and the power was great early on. And he might hit towards the bottom of the order too, which is a, it's going to hurt him. So I have some concerns about him. I see Puig. It's funny because I, I like Bogarts. I like Conforto. They went, went before. And then I, I looked at a big drop after Granke because the next pitcher, I don't really like Price. I, I, I look at Herman Marquez and Mikolos as like round eight pitchers, even though maybe they're not anymore. Zach Wheeler, you know, you know when you're picking a guy because you, you, you need the spot more than the player? That's how I felt with Granke. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's your two. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like that that round of pitchers I really don't love. All right, so round six, Fulton Nevich, are you in or out? Like that pick or no? Uh, I'm out on Fulton. Uh, I always liked him, and actually last year was probably the first year I didn't draft him, and of course he had his best year. But now I think people are overpaying for last year. Uh, I don't think he belongs in this tier of pitchers. Uh, I think there's still concerns with the walk rate. Uh, I know he cut down on the home runs last year, but there are some numbers that show he, you know, he got a little lucky last year. I mean, last year was the first year he had an ERA, you know, under three while throwing at least 100 innings in the major league. So uh, I think last year was probably the best year for him. I know the strikeouts were there, but uh, I have concerns that he that he won't repeat. He gave up more hard hit balls, uh, so I'm a little worried about him. Okay, how about what are you like in the like after that? Uh, I like Travis Shaw, you know, he's got the second base eligibility and, you know, the numbers dipped a little bit from the year before, but love the lineup. I think the power's legit. So uh, I like him. Uh, I like Aaron Hicks. That was probably my favorite mid round pick last year. And I always, always say that when a Yankee, a player is on the Yankees, you have to pay the Yankee tax, meaning you got to pay a real high price for him. And you see it in these drafts too. Glaber Torres, Andujar, all these Yankees go so high. Aaron Hicks was the one guy last year that did not. Like I was getting Hicks in the middle rounds of drafts, rounds 15, 16. And I had, he might have been the player that I owned the most last year. So we have seen the price rise up, but Hicks is a guy that has power, has speed. Yes, the injuries are still a factor because I think he got hurt in April last year. I remember I was all excited for his start, and I'm like, oh, I guess I should have known. But the guy had 27 home runs, 11 steals. I know the batting average was a little bit low, but he's better in the OBP leagues because he draws a lot of walks. It's a good lineup, so I, I like Aaron Hicks again. And, uh, yes, the injury is always a concern because last year 137 games was the career high, but – if he gives you 135, 140 again, I don't think you're going to complain. I think you pretty much understand almost every player, you're going to expect at least one DL stint. I, the next round in round nine was the only time in the draft that I really felt sniped because I had penciled in Jose Leclerc. I wanted him in round nine, and I thought he was like the last of the good closers. And... When he went with the pick before, which kind of shocked me because the guy took us sooner, two rounds before. And I'm thinking, we, we've been talking for so long about not taking closers. And here's this buffoon taking two closers by round nine. I just don't understand people sometimes, Adam. Yeah, especially in a league like this where you have a waiver wire, you have trades. I'm just not going to invest in closers early. I understand in the draft champions leagues while people do it, you know, I'm doing one now. 
and people in the draft room were like, damn, what is Ronas's plan? Why is he punting closers here? What is he going to do? And it's not that. It's just that I'm not going to overpay. You know, there were two teams on the end who both took two closers. So right there, you got four closers off the board to two teams. Now what happens? Trickle-down effect. Oh, man, I better get a closer now because they're going to run out. Fine. You want to overpay? I'll, I'll build my team elsewhere. And, you know, I looked in that league last year, 15-team league where I finished second. I had Blake Trinan and Brad Hand. And remember, Hand lost his job uh, when he, well, lost a full-time grasp on the job once he was traded to the Indians. So that helped me. So I had that one dominant closer with Trinan. Uh, this year, I'm going to have to piece it together. But in, especially in a league like this, there's no overall. You know, I understand in the NFBC, uh, I still won't do it, but you can make the argument it's an overall. You have to at least have, you know, one really good closer. You can make it up on the waiver wire, but everyone else is chasing that too. But in this format, like, I just don't see the need to do it. Yeah, I don't see the need to do it. I was really shocked. I took Joey Gallo, who I hate in general, but he's got big-time power. But the only reason I took him was because between Ramirez, Marte, Real Muto, and Hicks, I thought I could support the average a little bit. Yeah, you probably can, um, you know, especially if Ramirez can, you know, hit around 300. Uh, he might hurt a little, but, yeah, the power is legit. I mean, this guy's a 40 homer guy. And if he could ever just cut down the strikeouts a little bit, maybe that could boost the average. But he had so many fly balls that he's probably still going to have an average in the, you know, two, 210, 220 range. If he ever got to 250, I mean, he'd be oh my God. even yeah. better. Superstar. You know, so I think the drafts are usually won or lost in the mid-rounds. I was kind of happy between rounds 10 and 16. Jose Alvarado, Paul DeJong, Corey Dickerson, Jonathan Scope, Gibbons, Bowers, Colome. Got a few closers, got some power, got got some good hitters there. I was, I, I was happy at that point. Why did you take Jose Alvarado over Ken Giles? Because I, I have you seen the, the Toronto Blue Jay pitching staff? You're the third starter there, dude. So Scott Angle's the fourth. So what? Every closer gets saves, even on bad yeah, teams. Yeah, but there's, there's, I don't like the bullpen in Toronto. I think Toronto's literally could win 65 games. I think the the, the Rays could win 85. Uh, Alvarado's not the closer. Who do you think is? They just said it yesterday. Cash came out and said, we're not going to name a closer. I think Alvarado's going to. He's got the best arm in that bullpen. Okay, and how many times have we seen teams have a best arm and they don't put him as the closer? A lot. Look. I mean, team, I here's, this is the problem with close right now. More teams are employing multiple relievers to right. close games, and it's making it difficult, and that's why you've seen these closes up the board. I love Alvarado's arm. I picked him up last year, and he did not get consistent saves. So I think he gets – look, if, here's how I look at closers. I took three mediocre closers, maybe even bad ones, but if I can get 15 to 20 saves from each of them – I can I cannot be in last place in the category. I don't want to win the saves category, Ronis. I don't give a give a crap. Yeah, I mean, but these are also guys who might not even reach the twenty save mark. Each of them. I, I thought about well, way Davis went. I would have taken Davis. I just don't like Ken Giles. I I just really worry about the Blue Jays this year. I think that team is imploding. There's no hope in Toronto outside of Bo Bichette, Biggio's son, and Vlad Guerrero Jr. But you said they win 65. Even if they win 65, you don't think half of those are going to be save opportunities for Giles? I mean, every well, bad I, look, team. I think Giles, yeah, no, he could have 30, 35 saves this year. I think Alvarado will have 20 with better numbers. I think Giles leaving Houston was the best thing. Once he got traded last year and I saw him go to Toronto, I go, that's the guy I'm targeting next year because everyone's off him. They look at the right. ERA, 465 ERA. 
He didn't walk anyone, once again. He blew no saves last year. <laughs> I mean, as bad as, as people think he was, he didn't have a blown save last year. He just no, no. It, it, he's the, very he, look, he's a very good closer. He he's a very good closer, and I think that Houston screwed with him that they just didn't name it. He was a closer. He was a setup guy. They totally messed with that guy's mind. They showed no confidence in him because of what happened in the World Series, and that's why last year I hated him. I saw people taking him top ten. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Do you really think Houston believes in him? This is just a case where he needed to get out. It was not a good fit. He goes to Toronto. There's absolutely no pressure. He can he knows the job is his. He goes out there. And turns it around. I just think Giles, to me, uh, I thought he was the best value closer. Like, to get him around 11, uh, sign me up. Yeah, no, it was, it was good value there. Well, we'll talk more about labor in our third segment uh, in this hour. But next segment, of course, we have Jeff Burgesson talking about the Genesis Open at the Riviera Country Club. Ronas, are you joining a Riviera Country Club anytime soon? Uh, that is on hold for now. I'm trying to round up some funds. I'm going to start a GoFundMe. So uh, <laughs> Go follow fund me on me Twitter, so at Adleronis, if you want to contribute to my country club. I could see you in a country club, Ronis. Uh, I don't know, A lot know, of cake man. in a country club, dude. Is it the cake I want? Probably not. <laughs> it's a very slim cake. Vanilla. <laughs> a very slim vanilla cake there. All right, we'll be back talking DFS golf right after this. Fantasy. Ian Cotton, not big on punks. No, man, come on. Bryce Harper, you know that Jonathan Papelbon business that happened all those years ago? If I was on Bryce Harper's team, you know what I would have been on that team? I would have been Jonathan Papelbon going, you don't win championships by not running out to first base champ. That's it. Sorry. If I meet Bryce Harper, I'll say, nice to meet you. You're, you're a great athlete, great talent. Do I want him on my Yankee team? I do not. Weekdays, noon Eastern on FNTSY Radio and on your popular podcast providers. Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy. Some uncle I never knew called Uncle Sam. Well, they say this Uncle Sam guy wanted them to pay him like a gazillion dollars. And they didn't have a gazillion dollars. So they called this company they heard on the radio called The Tax Doctor. And The Tax Doctor worked with Uncle Sam's people. I think they're called The IRS. And they're able to work it out so my mom and dad didn't have to pay Uncle Sam very much money at all. So now mom and dad are happy. And I'm happy too. Thanks, Tax Doctor. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS or state, call now and pay less. 800-215-1727. 800-215-1727. That's 800-215-1727. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. All right, we're back with Scout Fantasy Sports. I'm Dr. Roto here. And, of course, you know this time every week. It's Wednesday at 2.20. No better time to talk DFS golf with my friend Jeff Ferguson from FantasyGolfInsider.com. What's up, Jeff? What's going on, Doc? 
hopefully better weather than the hail that we saw in California last week. I was watching that going, thank God I live in Florida. That's right. Yeah, maybe they should consider bumping these West Coast tournaments back because it's probably not going to be any better, at least tomorrow. It's looking like it might be a complete washout for sure in the morning as of right now. So I was going to ask you about that. In terms of the weather patterns, I know that Thursday is, is going to be a mess. Let's say that it finally gets better like 2 p.m. West Coast time. Do they play the round or do they just start? Do they just do three rounds Friday, Saturday, Sunday? How do, how do they change that? How do they approach that? Uh, it depends. Most likely they'll try and get as much play in as they possibly can. So if it's playable, they'll send out, you know, as many as they can till till sunset. But like last week, we, we played it right. We, we juggled it based on the wind uh, and played our, our, most of the guys on spyglass when it was going to be windy because it was a more sheltered course. This week it's a little bit more difficult because you don't know if they go off at, say, 1 or 2 tomorrow, then the morning guys are going to be playing in the afternoon, and it'll push everything back. They might actually get two afternoon rounds, which is not ideal. So it makes it tough to stack when you don't know. Is it ever possible where they just only play three rounds of a tournament, or is there a rule that they must play four rounds of a tournament? Uh, they can they can call it at three. They could call it at two if, if the weather doesn't allow them to play. They can call it at pretty much any point, and that's happened in the past. They've called it after three rounds, so it's a possibility. Do, but you expect tomorrow that you think that people will play in the in the afternoon of, of Thursday? It's possible, but but if they don't, they tomorrow's washed out. They can find a way to make up four days in three. They'll just send guys out on you know both tees. They'll, they'll make larger groups. They'll start earlier. They can usually get, if there's one day that's washed out, they can usually get the whole tournament in. Now, if there's two days, that, that's a little bit more tricky. Uh, and they might continue on Monday, or they might just call it at three rounds. Now, if, if you normally play 20 lineups, let's just say that, and in a week where it's bad weather, will you play 10 or 12? Does that change how many lineups you play, or do you still go in with your 20? I still go with my 20 and, and stack some. So when there's uncertainty, I'm going to stack both sides of the tee time wave because you just don't know how it's going to end up. It could be that one wave has like a, a huge advantage over the other. Um, so maybe do five teams stacked each way and then the remainder of your 10 teams just do normally. But try and take advantage if there are some weather issues in the forecast. So right now, do you know how you're stacking, or are you going to wait until uh, you know, 11 p.m. tonight? I will wait till later tonight, but as it looks right now, um, I'll stack both ways equally. I don't, see, uh, I, I don't see how either wave would have a huge advantage based on what they're saying now. So you know, if I do 100 teams, I'll probably do 25 that are stacked and 12 on a.m. wave and 12 on p.m. wave. All right, fair enough. Let's get to the players. Dustin Johnson going to cost you the most money on DraftKings. I think he's worth the money, but he did not look very good last week at all. Is this where DJ's in a rut and we want to avoid him, or is this where DJ, hey, he can break out of it any time and win? Well, it could be a matter of what you don't like, and that's a jet lag. You know, that way we talked about that last week as a possibility. I don't know if that was the actual reason that he didn't play so well because he started out pretty strong. Uh, it was the weekend that he kind of stalled and wasn't very good at a place he normally kills. Uh, this this week we're at uh, Riviera where he's generally very good too. Uh, last week I'm not too concerned with, with him being in a funk because he just won in Saudi Arabia a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, I, I like DJ. I own DJ this week. Um, he's a guy who can, you know, blow away the field in any tournament he plays, and he's on a course that sits his, that fits his game perfectly. Are you ever of the ilk where you'll take like Johnson and Thomas or Johnson and McElroy, put those two guys up top and find four cheap guys around that? Do you ever construct lineups that way? Sure. Yeah, totally depends on the week and how, how the field is and what the options are in that 6K range because if you stack two of those guys, that's where your remaining four guys are going to have to be from. Uh, if you can find four that you feel comfortable with, I would do it. it. I will say it's very tough to do, and especially this week. So I would say probably don't do a whole lot of teams with the top two or three guys stacked together. All right, Justin Thomas is the second guy that looks like a good fit. Rory McIlroy, though, is the third player here, and he seems to be playing a little bit more often uh, in the States. Do we like him this week? Does this course suit him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. He, it seems like he's kind of reinvigorated and recommitted to being uh, dominant, and he's been really good his first two tournaments. He's playing more on the PGA Tour this year. Uh, so I like him a lot this week. His, his, he hits, he's long off the tee, got a great approach game, and when we've seen his putter, putter get hot, that's usually his downfall is putting. But when it gets hot, you know, he can lap the field. So uh, he's a great fit for this week. Do you think there are guys who get overlooked, like let's say Bryson DeChambeau, because you've got Johnson, Thomas, and Rory, and then you've got Bubba and Phil and Tiger. Could a DeChambeau get overlooked this week? It's possible. Uh, it's hard to tell. I, I monitor the industry really closely so I can see if that's going to happen. I don't think so. I mean, I think he, both him and Rom will probably be the two lower of the, the top five, but I don't think it's going to drop below, you know, 13, 14%. And I don't see anyone being owned by a tremendous amount. Maybe DJ is the most popular, but I don't think it's going to be out of hand because there's so many options. All right. Bubba Watson won in 2014, 2016, 2018. But here we are in an odd year. Maybe I shouldn't be playing Bubba. <laughs> this is a Bubba course. Uh, Riviera is definitely a Bubba course, and when he's on, uh, you know, bombs away. Um, I am not on Bubba this week, just, and it's not that I don't like him. I just, I would, I'd just as soon go up to Bryson for a little bit more, or Rom, or Rory. So I'm going to go that route. But um, now this is definitely a Bubba course. What's up with Jordan Spieth? There were times last week where he looked good, and then it just got bad. I mean, dare I say he just didn't look good at all. Where has his game gone, Jeff? We talked about it last week, Doc, and, and I said I'm just not ready, despite his great tournament history at Pebble, to get back on because there is something wrong there. Now, he looked great uh, the first day. Uh, looked like old Jordan Spieth, but then – over the weekend, he was lost in all phases of the game. His approach was awful. His short game was bad. His putting was terrible. I'm just not ready to make a move. And what's and and it's, what's funny is the DK prices are based a lot upon their Vegas odds. And Jordan is very popular. You know, he's a figure of the game. So his odds are are slight, and thus his price is up there. For the way he's playing now, he's not a $9,200 guy. He should be down in the 8K range. So I'm not going to pay the premium for Jordan with his game the way it is right now. All right. I know last week we talked about Tony Finau being a great fit for this course. But yeah, he hasn't been great this year. But I know you mentioned him. I know you like him. 
Is this where you just have to not worry about recent form and just trust the fact that this guy's meant to play on this course? That's what my thought process is, Doc. I'm a bit of a Tony Finau apologist, and I haven't owned him. I'll tell you, he wasn't in my – I've owned him. I, he hasn't been in my core the last two weeks because I haven't loved the course setup for him. I owned him at Torrey Pines. I love him for this course. He's a good putter on Poa, uh, Poa Greens. Uh, he's long. He's um, He can score on par five. So I absolutely love him this week, and I'm hoping that – his last two performances have cut down his ownership to where it might have been had he played up to his potential because I'm loading up on him this week. All right. So we're talking to Jeff Burgesson from FantasyGolfInsider.com. It's a fantastic site for PGA DFS and all things golf-related. Sergio Garcia. Guy's had a, an interesting uh, last couple of weeks. He's a little bit of a head case. But when I think of creative players, Sergio is a very creative player. And Riviera requires creativity. Is he a good fit this week? I kind of like it as a contrarian play. I put this in my in my column this week that the last thing that people are going to think of when they think of him is him flailing away, trying to kill the sand in the bunker uh, where he had a bad lie. But before that, he was very, very good. He had like six straight top ten finishes going into Saudi Arabia. And he is a bit of a head case, and he melted down. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Was disqualified. But this week, a lot of people are going to remember that and probably choose not to go to Sergio, which is why I tend to go against the grain, and I will own him. Uh, because I don't have to go crazy on him either. If he's owned by 10% of the field, I can be twice overweight at 20% and not risk all of my lineups. So that's, that's the route I'm going to take. All right, I'm going to give you a couple of players here, Luis Ustusen and Tyrell Hatton, who are very good players who just never seem to be great. But I'm always intrigued by them. Ustusen at 8,000, Hatton at 7,700. I'd say, wow, they're pretty good players. They could win, but inevitably I don't play them much. Are they good enough to win a, a tournament like this? Certainly. With, with Ustazen, he is certainly good enough and is a great play at 8,000. But with him comes in the chance that he is back he gets aggravated and acts up and he withdraws. It's happened, you know, 10 times over the past few years where that's happened. So you have to realize that that's a possibility when you own him. And if that happens, you just light those rosters on fire. He's a GPP type player because I would never take the risk in cash, but yeah, he can be absolutely dominant. And he has been on the Euro tour uh, up until he had to withdraw from uh, Dubai, I believe pre-tournament. Uh, but definitely I will be taking a shot with him this week. And Ty Hatton's really good. Uh, I don't know how good he's going to be at Riviera because he's not very long off the tee. I don't know if that's going to – his his iron game is going to have to be uh, perfect for him to succeed here, whereas the Bombers get a little bit more leeway. Um, but normally I, 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 am, I do like Hatton because he is a very good player. Are there guys in the low and in, in the 7,500 or less range that you like this week? I know that Bud Cawley, you mentioned in the past, uh, Sung Kang always tends to do well on the West Coast trip. Are there Keegan Bradley? I've heard his name there. I, you know, I don't like him this week. I know people have mentioned them. Anybody in this range that you like? None that I love. Um, there's some guys that I will mix in exposure to. I have some Luke List exposure. He is a, a real roller coaster ride. He will, he can take top ten or miss the cut just as easily. Uh, but for GPP play, I will own him. 
Uh, Sung Kang is getting a lot of buzz in the industry. He's been playing well, has a good tournament history here. If he's going to be overheated, I'm happy to pivot off of him. Um, I have some Abraham answer ownership. He's missed his last two cuts, but um, he played, he puts better on Paul, a good long iron player. And I have some JB Holmes exposure too at 7,200. He's had some success on this course, another up and down type player, but um, he could certainly show up and, and post a top 15 this week. Now, Jeff, somebody said that in golf, it's okay to be chalky. You just have to have like one, maybe two guys in your lineup who aren't chalky. How do you find the guys who aren't chalky? Who are not chalky? Yeah, I mean, how do you know the difference between the not chalky and then they suck, right? That difference, you know, that that fine line between not chalky and really awful? Right. Um, a lot's just experience uh, and then listening to the industry. If other, If everyone's talking about a guy then most likely he's going to be pretty heavily owned. And, and when that happens to be a 6000 or $7,000 player, I'm usually trying to pivot off of them because there's a very high likelihood that they underperform. Now, if, if, if like a Dustin Johnson's chalky, well, chances are of him bombing is a lot uh, less than a guy down in the 7K range. So you can kind of look at tournament history too. A lot of people go strictly off that. If a guy has great tournament history, he's most likely going to be popular. But, um, you know, like this week, Jason Kokrak is getting so much buzz at 7,600. Martin Laird also at 76. Those guys are going to be probably pretty chalky this week. So do we fade Kokrak because he's really not that good and he's getting he's getting way too much? Uh, he, he's been very hot over the last few weeks, and he's got great course history. Is that a Burgesson fade? It is for me. <laughs> um, I, I, I always do stuff like that. Uh, just tr- I'm trying to get the edge. Is it a little bit risky? Yeah, because he has been playing so well, and he could finish. But here's the other thing, is if he finishes T20, which is a great finish for Jason Kokrak, does it kill you if you don't own him? Not really. Uh, now, if he wins the whole thing and you fade him, you're dead. Uh, but, you know, his upside, he doesn't have a tremendous upside. So what position does he need to finish to really kill you? No, but you? it does kill me okay. if, I, if I pivot to Cameron Champ, who doesn't make the cut. Then I'm, then I'm really upset. <laughs> that, that's true. That is true. Yep. So not only do you need to be right in fading a guy, you have to be right on the guy you pivot to as well. <laughs> right. There's a lot of pressure there, Jeff. It's hard to do that. You know that. <laughs> yeah, but if you fade Jason Kokrak and he's owned by 20% of the field, and you can get a guy who just gets through the cut, you got a pretty big edge. That's true. All right, let, I'm going to give you a couple of guys in the low, low, low 7,000 range. Uh, JT Poston, Harold Varner, Charles Schwartzel. Poston's been pretty good this season. Varner as a bomber who might do well at this course. Schwartzel, I don't know, I tend to like South Africans and Koreans at Riviera. Thoughts on those three? Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, South Africans, they play, they're playing on Kikuya grass, which is, common in South Africa, so that's not a bad uh, idea right there. Varner uh, always comes out blazing, so if, you got, if you're putting a couple bucks on a first-round leader, um, save a couple for him. Um, you said Poston, yeah. I've been on him quite a bit this season. He's been playing extremely well. Uh, I think that's a great option at 7,100. Schwartzel has been off. Uh, he's missed a lot of cuts in a row, has played well here in the past, but uh, I'm going away from Schwartzel this week. All right, two more quick ones here. Jim Furyk and Steve Stricker, the old man guys there. Any love for these guys to just make a, make a cut? 
maybe make a cut. Stricker's been playing really poor. I actually owned him a little bit last week, and he did not help me. <clears throat> Neither guy um, is going to excel probably here unless they're perfect with their irons just because they're lacking the distance. This, is, this would not be my ideal course for either one of those guys. All right, I never ask you this question. Give me a guy who's going to win this tournament. Tony Fino. Uh, you'd love him this week. You're all in. And do you think the will the industry be in or will you be a trendsetter? Um, I think it'll be in the middle. I don't think he's going to be massively owned, but um, yeah, maybe 20%. That's not incredibly high, but if you can get uh, 20 some to one odds on him, I'd put a couple bucks on him there. Uh, but I just like him for the course. Now, if he, if he blows up tomorrow, I'm going to lose half my lineups, but uh, I'm just going to go with him this week. All right. Last week you gave us Brian Gay as a guy from the outside. Anybody here who you like is a deep, deep, deep sleeper. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. We did talk about gay last week that, uh, he played, you know, we talked quite a bit about Phil too last week. We and did. what actually happened is Cantlay withdrew. So I ended up pivoting more shares to Phil, which was really good. Um, I'll say, I'll say Luke list. All right. He says it. He's Jeff Burgerson. He must be right. Good luck, my friend. <laughs> Thanks doc. Have a good one. All right. Talk to you soon. You got it. All right, that's Jeff Burgesson, Fantasy Golf Insider. He says Luke List. I'm sure you better start put, putting down some bets on it because he's probably going to win. He was right on Brian Gay last week. I was very impressed with that. All right, guys, when we come back, we're getting back to labor. Ronas and I talking fantasy baseball right after this. If you've heard of WeatherTech floor liners, you probably know that for your vehicle's floor, nothing protects better. But what about protection for the rest of your car or truck? I'm David McNeil, founder of WeatherTech. Besides our floor liners, we design, engineer, and manufacture a wide range of automotive accessories right here in America. And just like our floor liners, everything is done to the highest standards possible. We understand what kind of investment owning a vehicle can be, so we do everything possible to help you protect it. We don't take shortcuts, and we never make concessions when it comes to quality. For everything from cargo liners to cleaning and detailing supplies to mud flaps and car covers, the one place you need to go is WeatherTech.com. So if you are familiar with our floor liners, just imagine how well the rest of our products will work for you. Learn more about our full line of automotive accessories at WeatherTech.com or call 1-800-CARMATS. WeatherTech.com, proudly made in America. Keith Irizarry is calling the shot. He is Ryan Hollis, 10 years in the league. Which streak is more impressive? Harden, 30 or more points in 30 games. Russell Westbrook with his 10 consecutive triple-doubles. James Harden, not even close. Russell naturally is going to fall into rebounds, passing, and scoring. Compared to James Harden, who literally had to do everything on his own. Not to mention, he's knocking down step-back threes. The hardest shot in basketball to hit. Weekdays, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Network and on your popular podcast providers. Maurice Allen, 2015-2016 European Long Drive Tour Champion, 2017 World Number One. Me personally, I keep my game face on me all the time. Especially coming out of the bunker, leaving the range, or even leaving the course. What's your story? Go to GameFaceGrooming.com for all your athletic facial wipes and body cleansing needs. All right, we're back. We're Scout Fantasy Sports. Dr. Roto here along with Adam Rose. 
And, oh, let's see, give me just one second here, Ronis. I'm, I'm forgetting something. Oh, that's right, it is. If you like to wager on sports or never have or would like to try, head on over to BetDSI. They have wagering options for almost any sport you could think of, including sides, totals, and player props where you can utilize your daily fantasy skills without salary cap constraints. You can even wager on esports, politics, and reality TV. Or get an edge with live betting at BetDSI where you can wager virtually anytime during a contest capitalizing on in-game circumstances. There are so many ways you can make money. Use the promo code FNTSY101 when signing up and get a 100% bonus deposit match. So head on over and open your account at BetDSI. That's promo code FNTSY101 to get your 100% bonus deposit match. How do you bet on politics, Ronas? I don't. I don't really even. I don't even pay attention. But I'm sure, like, like there's different things. You can bet on anything. Put it that Will way. Will Donald Trump make another ridiculous tweet? Probably something like that. I don't know. I never, honestly, I never looked it up. Uh, I'm not interested in it. But you saw the prop bets for the Super Bowl. You can bet on anything. That's true. I, I mean, do you think we bet on too much in this country? Like, are we just crazy that way? You know, I had this discussion with my friend because he is a recovering addict for a few things including gambling so he was kind of staunchly against it being legalized and i i disagreed i said look it's up to every individual to kind of control themselves and maybe it's easy for me to say because you know i don't have any of these things that are addicting maybe you could say fantasy sports but again i make my living off it so <laughs> what, what about i don't know habit ronis that's not me you got me mixed up with oh, someone else oh, sorry my bad my bad susie <laughs> was that already i'm tired i apologize okay. so uh you know he's like but he's been through it, and he goes, nah, it's, it can be a problem for people and for it to become legal. I'm like, so what are we supposed to do, just outlaw everything? I mean, at some point, it's up to the individual to control themselves. I mean, you know, alcohol too, right? You can look at so many different things that are legal that could lead to issues. So people are going to do what they want, so you might as well legalize sports gambling, in my opinion. It's a very slippery slope. I, I really do believe this, because I, I think that gambling can cause addiction, and it could lead to unemployment. And it could lead to a bunch of other things or, you know, terrible things. But at the same time, who am I to tell you what to do or what not to do? You're an adult. Right. You want to gamble? Ronos, go gamble. Who am I to tell you not to gamble? So I feel like I, I, when I think about it, I, I can see both sides. I mean, should we? But I don't like protecting people for what we want for our individuality. You want to do something? It's up to you. Yeah, that's the way I feel, too. And obviously, you know, you want to try and help people, but that go through addiction but it, it can be numerous things not just gambling it could be alcohol there's so many things that you can get addicted to of course there's always help around but i think at the end you have to allow individuals to do what they want again as as long as they're not harming other people while doing it and you could say well with gambling you could lose your house or this and that well you know that's that's individual but Here's what I might do, though. I might say that you could only put in, let's say, a certain amount of money per week into a sports book, right? You're only allowed, let's say, 5000 a week. Or I don't know, if you lose X, I don't know. I would put in some maybe, can I do that? Can I put in some things like that to just make sure that people don't put 20 Gs in a week? I guess the problem with that, though, what is if the person who does want to put in 20 Gs a week has the ability to do it. Maybe they're a professional gambler. So that, then you limit that person. You know I mean, there's a handful, not a lot. There are some people who do it professionally that they are good and they do have an edge. Not many, but then you hurt that person.
Right. Now, you're always hurting somebody. It's, it's never perfect. Of course. That's the way uh, life is, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really true. I always call it the 5% rule also. It's like 5% of the people are pissed off, and they're the ones who are the, lighter, the loudest. The other 95% of the people are fine and don't say anything. Right. Right, like with anything. All right, let's get back here. Let's go. Uh, I'm sure we'll be looking at this draft for a while here because that's uh, one of the most recent ones we've done. Let's go through team by team. Um, Fantasy Black Book, Joe Pisapi. Starts out with Trout, Severino, Bryant, Berrios, Bogarts, Myers, Peraza, Hayter, Martinez. I kind of like his team. I think he's, he did a pretty good job there. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Severino came out, said he changed his diet, and he's hoping that it helps with his durability late in the year because we did see Severino dominate and then fall apart a little bit. So I know people tend to laugh these things off, but I do think you know diet is, is a big deal. I mean, I think a lot of us now are trying to – it is very difficult, so I think that's a positive thing. And Severino definitely has a great arm. Chris Bryant, it's all about the shoulder for him. You know, he burned me last year. I only had him in one league, and it's not – he wasn't a target, but it was like the mid-second round of a 15-team league. And I said, okay, uh, I'll take Bryant. And he just wasn't the same with that shoulder injury. He didn't have surgery. So was, if that shoulder is fine, you know, he's good in that spot. He'll definitely hit for power. I uh, like Barrios. Uh, I could see him taking another step up. Bogart's a very solid player across the board uh, at the shortstop position. You know, Myers, it's all about health with him. We know he's got the speed uh, and power combination there. Peraza, I like. Uh, you know, I almost I had... took Peraza in six, by the way. Instead of Fulton Nevich, I almost took Peraza. I really wanted Peraza, but I let it go thinking that he wasn't going to go for Bogart's and Peraza, Ronis. You know, but I, I did the same thing. There was a, a draft champions league that I'm doing now, and I had Machado at short. And uh, I th- it was round eight, and I'm like, damn, Jose Peraza is still here? I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I know the, w- the one negative, I will say that shortstop is very deep this year. It is one of the most deepest positions. So the one thing where it hurt me is, okay, now I'm kind of locking myself out of a good value at middle infielder late in the draft. But you know what? I don't care because I think Peraza is a – 15 to 18 homer guy with 30, 35 steals, hitting leadoff in that Reds lineup. He'll score runs. So uh, I like what he did there because I did something similar to There just comes a point where you say the guy's too good to pass up in this spot. So I, I like what he did there. Josh Hader, I understand because of the ratios. Not but, closer. yeah, that's, that's what I don't like. Uh, you know, he will probably get a handful of saves. I think Corey Knebel is going to be the closer this year, though. He looked really good when he came back last year. And Hayter's just so valuable. You can bring him in into the seventh inning with first and second. You know, he could pitch the eighth. So uh, he's probably someone that's not going to land on my team. But he gives you tremendous ratios and strikeouts. But if I'm going to take – I want saves, though, and I'm not going to get enough from him. All right, let's take a look at prospect 361, Tim McLeod. He's going to join took... me in the next hour. Oh, okay. So real briefly – I know he took Merrifield, and you don't like Merrifield. Uh, certainly, you've, you've discussed that before. But when a guy takes so many prospects, Danny Jansen, Josh James, Cedric Mullins, Garrett Hampson, Tatis, Toussaint, did he just basically say, I'm not winning this league? I wouldn't say that, but yeah, he took a lot of risk here because uh, a lot of young players where you're just not sure of their role and performance. Uh, Garrett Hampson looks to be the starting second baseman for the Rockies, but... The Rockies make some perplexing moves, so I wouldn't be surprised if they go out and sign a veteran or maybe they give uh, McMahon a chance, so who knows there. 
Uh, Jansen's fine. I, I like him as a catcher. Uh, Mullins is going to get playing time. Has a little power, a little speed. Tatis, I don't know when he's going to be up. So I was actually surprised he took him there around 16. Uh, so, yeah, you know, he took some risks with young players, and uh, it could work out or it could be uh, a lot of spots where he's looking to fill early on in the season. I thought about it in round eight. I want to talk about this guy that Tim took. I like Jerks in Profar. He qualifies a lot of spots. He's a really solid player. He's got some power, got some speed. I took Aaron Hicks because I like Hicks more. But I was hoping to get Profar on the way back, and I was a little surprised that he took him, and then I, that's when I took Gallo as well. I mean, he took two guys, Profar and Leclerc, both guys I could have taken easily. Yeah, I think this is generally where you're seeing Profar go. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of people that are taking him pretty early, and you know, this guy was a top prospect for years, and you know, he turns 26 next week. So still relatively young. Finally put it together last year with 20 homers, 10 steals. Obviously leaves a, a pretty good ballpark to hit into a tougher park in Oakland, but uh, it also has that position versatility, which is very key in a deeper format when those injuries hit. You could just move them around to several different positions. All right, let's take a look at Jake Seeley's team here. There are names that you certainly know when you look at Jake's team, but I'll give you the first eight guys, actually 10 guys, maybe even 11. Yelich, Harper, Kershaw. Flaherty, Albies, Kimbrell not on the team, Chapman, two closers in the first seven rounds, Michael Brantley always gets injured, Edwin Encarnacion is 100 years old, Buster Posey starting to break down, Mike Moustakis doesn't have a team, Jake's got a lot of names, and if they all hit, they're good, but is this way too much risk there? Uh, I think it is. I mean, with Kershaw, it's all about how many innings are you going to get, and where's his health? Because as the season went on, he got worse. Now, is that because he was trying to pitch to injury, and now with an offseason, he gets better? But it's a back that he's had to deal with. So that's why you're seeing him fall to the third round. Uh, Albies, I mentioned, how he was terrible in the second half, and it seemed like pitchers adjusted to him. I don't like doing Kimbrell and Chapman in the sixth, seventh. I know you could say, well, they get a ton of strikeouts and the ratios, but Kimbrell was not great last year, late in the year. Chapman, you have to worry about injuries, so uh, I worry about taking both those guys and combining them. I'm fine with Brantley. Uh, he was healthy last year, and the year before, he, when he came back, he was fine. Uh, Encarnacion maybe still gets moved. Posey's coming off surgery, and you know, it, that's a name pick there because I just don't want Posey this year. Uh, he's older, uh, terrible ballpark to hit in. Uh, I know – Catcher-wise, it's a weak position, but Posey had five home runs last year in 105 games, and he hasn't hit 20 home runs since 2014. Sure, average, solid for a catcher, but I uh, just – and it's cheaper. So, I mean, fifth, sixth round of years passed, but I, I still don't want him around 10. Posey killed me in tout last year. I spent a lot of money on him. He literally killed me. Even a points league, he killed me, Ronis. He was terrible. Yeah, well, I don't know if he – he wasn't terrible. He just – didn't stay healthy. He only played wasn't worth his money. games. Wasn't worth the money I spent for him. And Most I spent a whole lot. Aren't. Most catchers don't, don't return their value. Let me ask you this quick question. In round six, I actually debated very seriously about taking Gary Sanchez. Would you have killed me on the radio if I took Real Mudo in four and Sanchez in six? Yeah, I, I don't like that. I just okay. I, I don't think it's uh, an ideal situation. 
I mean, yeah, you can say, well, I'm better than everyone in catcher, sure, but you're also going to be weakened at other positions because you're passing up something good to formulate that catcher tandem. Okay, fair enough. I want to turn very quickly, and we're not, we'll go out of order for a second here, to the Roto lady, Andrea Lamont. Now, her team and my, my FSTA team and her team last night look eerily similar. It's kind of freaky. But she took Bauer before Cole and Nola and Bueller. She took Tyon way earlier than I ever, ever expected. Is this a case of somebody taking their players and that's okay? Or is this a case of somebody reaching a little bit too early and taking people that she could have waited on? No, it's probably taking the players she wants. I mean, Bauer there in a second, I don't think he makes it back to the third round. There's a good chance Tyon doesn't make it back to the fourth. So, you know, you could look at it and say, well, it's too early. Uh, I would take Cole over Bauer, Nola, but I like Bauer a lot. But for me, uh, there were better pitchers on the board. I uh, like Tyon a lot. I'm, I can't believe how high he's going. Uh, I, was I took to him in the fourth round of the FSTA, and I was like, I think that's a little early. Sean Childs is giving me grief on Twitter for it. Now she's going to the uh, you know, uh, 11th pick of the uh, third round. Yeah, I like Tyon a lot, but, man, the price is just very high uh, right now uh, for sure. Uh, he was really good down the stretch last year. He had 22 consecutive starts with three earned runs or less. He added a slider that really helped him. And he talked about how he hasn't even perfected it yet, that it's still a work in progress. But, yeah, that seems pretty er – it seems kind of early for him, too. I mean, I still – I kind of like him better than the pitchers he went over, though. Who who are we talking about? Tyon. Over – yeah, over Corbin, Paxton, Strasburg. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not knocking it. I just would have rather – if she took Tyon in round four, I'm loving it. In round three, I say it's early. Yeah, I'm not sure if he would have made it back. Would you but rather? I, again, I don't. Been... I don't know. I don't know how the four teams behind her feel. You know, maybe one of them was saying, "Oh, I want Tyon in the fourth. I, I, I don't know. No, I guess that's true. I, I mean, I guess it goes back to if you go, go get the player you want. But I mean, I know that's isn't that crazy? How I love him in four, but I don't in three. And it's only a yeah. matter of eight picks. Yeah, no, that's true. Strange like that. I feel that way sometimes in my uh, keeper baseball league. If a guy's at like $7, it's too much. But if it's 6 it's okay. Why does $1 make a difference? I really should it. I guess you're from the uh, Larry Schechter school. Yeah, you pay I'll above do. your value. <laughs> no, I actually do. I, I actually, you know, I think Larry's a little crazy with that. It's like uh, I'm not paying one cent over my dollar amount here. Is there one pick, and I know we'll be talking about this draft the remainder of this week. Is there one pick here where you're just like, what was this person thinking? Um, nothing stands out immediately looking at it. I was actually surprised, and I shouldn't be, to see Conforto in round five. They were just talking about Conforto today on uh, Bowden and the Commish. That Conforto's, his, his, he's going up, he's moving up in the nah, world. No, he is. I mean, he had a really good second half. People forget he was coming off the shoulder surgery. And he struggled early on. He still has to show that he can hit lefties, but I think the Mets lineup has improved. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he can hit 30, 35 home runs. He had 28 last year, and that was with a poor start. So I picked Conforto in round 16 last year. People thought I was crazy, but I didn't think it was crazy because I'm like, look, I'll take half a year of Conforto. Yeah, he played in 153 games, but it was a struggle early on in the season. But he really got hot 
uh, in the second half and put up uh, big numbers. So now the, the key is uh, improving against lefties. Although he was better last year, and I always say this, you got to let these guys hit lefties. You know, people will say, well, they struggle against lefties. What, in 30 at-bats? Because you don't give him enough tra- chances, right? right? Just yeah. give him a shot. Now, maybe it turns out that he can't, and we see 250 at-bats, and he hits 180. Okay, fine. I, I understand then, but he had 169 at-bats against lefties last year, 249 with 10 homers and 28 RBIs. He actually hit better average-wise against lefties than he did against righties. So goes to show that just give the man an opportunity. Let him play every day. All right, we got, I don't know, not much time left in the hour. Real quick on football, Joe Flacco going to go to the Denver Broncos. I think it's a terrible move by the Broncos. I don't understand it. I mean, you're giving up a mid-round pick. He has three years left on his deal. I know none of it's guaranteed, but is this an upgrade? I don't see it. I mean, he had six point. He's better than Case Keenum, but he's not good. Not much, though. I looked at their numbers the last two years. They're similar. I mean, he has 6.3 yards per attempt, and the Broncos' offensive line is not great. They have two free agents on the line so I don't know I mean this is just uh, we've seen we've talked about Elway just not doing a good job with that quarterback situation there in Denver the last few years yeah he, he got a lot of credit for for Peyton Manning but after that I don't know no credit there making a lot of mistakes yeah and I think this uh people are going to look at it as an upgrade I don't think it really is maybe he doesn't want any quarterback better than him Ron. <laughs> that, that could be all right, hour number, hour number two coming up. Tim McLeod joining Adam Ronas. This is Dr. Roto saying be well and take care. Scout Fantasy Sports coming back with you right after this.